0: between the lines with virtual academy we all have a story to tell
1: hey guys it's chris carden here your host today for between the lines a podcast where we like to dig in behind the badge to the stories that made us who we are we got some really cool people on today first i want to give a shout out to our executive producer sound machine technician
2: video ninja aaron beville Howdy, folks. Good morning, Aaron. These these guys we got on these are some very cool guys. We spent some time. Well, with
1: them. you know, I mean, you know, I don't know that they really have the experience uh, that we're looking for, but I'm I'm happy to give them a shot. Newbies, you know?
2: these newbies.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. So joining us today is a good friend of mine, Rob Chadwick. Rob is the former chief of the tactical training unit for. Can I get a drum roll, please? The FBI. The Federal Bureau of Investigation. Rob, how are you, buddy? Good, man.
0: Hey, Chris, thanks for uh, the opportunity to come on. I'm, I'm excited to uh, catch up with you guys.
1: Enjoyed hanging out uh, when I was in Tennessee with you recently. Oh, yeah. That's always a good time when we go to the mothership and recharge our batteries. Also joining us is Mr. Mike Kelly. Mike Kelly is a former tactical team leader. He's an all-around SWAT guy. And I'll be honest with you, an all-around heck of a nice guy. How are you, Mike? Good, Chris. Thank you. Thanks for... Uh... Meeting with us today. Well, I'll tell you what, in addition to their uh, law enforcement backgrounds with the Bureau, they also work together with the Holdfast Fast Security Group. We're going to talk about that some more later on. Hey, Rob, tell me, how did you get started in law enforcement?
0: So I started with uh, Fairfax County, Virginia, the police department there, uh, right out of college. I think I was 23. That's where I grew up. So policing, you know, in my hometown, Fairfax County is a great department, has a great reputation. And I enjoyed every minute I was with that department. Department, I was fortunate enough to do some really cool things, and including uh, being assigned to the canine unit there before transferring to the FBI after about uh, seven years uh, with Fairfax. Was that a patrol canine or a yeah, therapy dog? Is that what they call him now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, he was a therapy dog for me, but no, he was a he was a apprehension German Shepherd, long haired German Shepherd from the Czech Republic, nice. and uh, yeah, it's so much fun. And and for those of your audience uh, that work with canines know how much excitement you get you know that the best part about canine is you're you're in on just about every every hot call there is so a lot of excitement there a lot of rewarding missions it was probably the most difficult professional moment of my life when I surrendered my canine to go with the FBI because he was you know he was in his prime and uh, one of the best trackers we had with the department and I knew he'd be absolutely miserable as a pet so he went to work with another one of the handlers in the department and I went off to the uh, academy and it was it was pretty tough. Pretty melancholy. Someone had to talk you off the ledge that night. Yeah, it might have been a little bit of Jack Daniels. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was tough, man. It was it was like losing yeah. a, a brother or a kid, you know.
2: Do you have a cool code name?
0: Yeah, his name was Zar, Czar. C Z A R. And uh, believe it or not, he had his incisors were titanium. <laughs> uh so, <laughs> long-haired German Shepherd with titanium teeth was pretty badass
1: though all the other long-haired German Shepherds were like hey you don't mess with that guy he's got titanium <laughs> why did you get the
2: Dr Evil straight? dog
1: well it was my fault he it,
0: it was a long story but he he ended up out of frustration we attract a guy long story short we had tracked a guy who got up on a top of a barricade that we couldn't reach and the dog you know they're used to being rewarded at the end of a track, so they, you know, they look for that bite. They they think of it almost as a game. So you know, when you're training them, they've got a bite sleeve, so they're looking forward to that bite. And he couldn't get to the bad guy, so the next best thing was a, a big metal pipe, which he nailed wow. and broke all four of his <laughs> oh, teeth. Yeah. So yeah, I had some explaining wow. to do the sergeant on that one. But yeah.
1: wow. when they found that dog, Aaron, the evil guy in a recliner petting a dog. <laughs> Uh, he was missing an eye. He said, Good evening, Mr. Bond. <laughs> man, this is taking a It is. A turn. I didn't right realize of this that, would be man, dog but... weed,
2: So that's great. No, it's good.
1: <laughs> Mike Kelly, tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you get started? So I had a much different start than Rob did to the bureau. I was actually a
3: banker before when I came out of college. I was a branch manager, and uh, my branch was robbed, and uh, the FBI came out and did an investigation. And I ended up getting to know the uh, bank security guy really well. And he was a retired agent. So he was the one who talked me into applying. Uh, I applied, but you know how the government goes. They had a three-year freeze. So I had to wait three more years and then finally got to uh, join the Bureau. Um, I did not have the hard feelings leaving like Rob did. I was glad to get out of banking into something a little more exciting. After the Academy, uh, they sent me to Los Angeles. So I got a lot of good experience out there in LA, especially... uh, with the SWAT team, so I had no tactical background prior to the bureau. I love being on teams, you know. Grew up playing sports, and joining the SWAT team just seemed like the most natural thing to do, and uh, and, I, and I loved it and loved the guys and all that. Kind of got me into the tactical world. Then I decided I want to do it full time, so that's when I went back to Quantico with the bureau and uh, tried out, and made the uh, hostage rescue team. So I spent uh, spent five years out there um, over up there from here in Virginia, and then after that came. Uh, to South Carolina
1: where had spent the next 12 years as a uh, SWAT team leader. For those that may be listening that may not understand the lingo or how things work, tell us what hostage rescue team, wh- what's the difference between HRT and SWAT?
3: So HRT is the Bureau's full-time team. Uh, the guys that are on there, the operators on that team, 100% of their time is spent being on a tactical team, has much better funding than the uh, SWAT teams in the field. And then additionally, it has a lot more equipment, helicopters, boats, all kinds of, uh, all kinds of vehicles uh, ranging anywhere from, you know, dirt bikes and four wheelers up to, you know, fully armored vehicles.
2: Kind of awesome that your career started out as a Michael Bay script. You went from a banker that got robbed to the FBI.
1: (laughs) Uh, was anybody injured in the uh, robbery? No. Um, matter of fact,
3: it's kind of a funny story. My wife was a teacher, and it was the beginning of the summer for her. It was their first day at home. And back in those days, this shows how old I am. Back in those days, the branch used to uh, close at lunchtime, except for the drive-thru. I told the uh, all the tellers and the customer service chefs, I'm going home for lunch today. My wife's home today. And, of course, they are all giving me a hard time saying, oh, you're going to get some, because I was a newlywed. <laughs> So as soon as I got home, this is before cell phones, as soon as I got home, the phone rang and they said, we've been robbed. And I said, ha ha, very funny, you know, see you guys in an hour. And they said, no, we're serious, we've been robbed. So uh, jumped in the car, Uh, the the bank, the branch was in a a small town called Powdersville and was on the edge of Anderson County. So I actually got to the bank before the sheriff's department did, which is not really great for the sheriff's department. The secure, we had a security guard, an armed security guard. And we had an ATM that was in a little building out back, you know, a little separate things. And the uh, bank robber snuck up behind the security guard. who was probably about 85 years old and disarmed him so that when the teller and customer service rep opened the door from balancing the ATM, all they see is the security guard with his hands up in the air and the bank robber with a shotgun pointed at him. So they went back in, emptied it out, and the bank robber went on his way. They did not catch him.
1: Wow never ever caught.
3: Well, they're not sure if he did, if they, if he was another bank robber that was arrested later, they couldn't tie that robbery to him.
1: Interesting. Rob, I know that, uh, you're currently got some things going with your own company and you guys have kind of shifted and created a pivot after retirement. So tell us a little bit about whole fast.
0: Well, the last probably five or six years I've been thinking about doing something like we're doing now. And, and so to kind of fill in the rest of the story there, Mike and I worked together in South Carolina for the Columbia Division of the Bureau for about, shoot, about 12 years. And um, Mike was the team leader. I was on the team in Columbia. At the time I was there, I served as the, what the Bureau calls the, the PFI, the Principal Firearms Instructor, kind of running the firearms and tactical training for all the agents. And then Mike was the senior team leader. We worked together quite a bit to put on training, not only for our agents, in uh, South Carolina, but we would also do quite a bit for state local partners around the state as well in terms of putting on training. Uh, we just had a great time. You know, Mike Mike talked about how much he enjoyed the the camaraderie and the and the teamwork, and I felt the same way. Starting with police work, there's nothing like the camaraderie of a police squad. And when I left that and went to the Bureau. I didn't have that at all as a street agent. Yes, you're assigned to a squad, but it's just not nearly the same as it is for uh, law enforcement, you know, police work or sheriff's deputies. It's just, that is such a closer knit community than a squad typically of FBI agents. Usually case agents in the FBI are managing investigations that are assigned to them and and will occasionally pick up a partner or you know draw on the rest of the squad whether it's to wrap up a case or serve a warrant or whatever it is but generally you're you're almost like an independent contractor uh, working for the same supervisor i didn't have any of that camaraderie until i found the SWAT program within the FBI so the FBI has 56 field offices in basically every major city in the united states so the top 56 cities, for the most part, have a field office. And Mike said he was assigned to Los Angeles. Uh, in my career, I was assigned to Miami uh, headquarters and then and then ultimately Columbia and then back to uh, Quantico. But while we were in Columbia together, we were both assigned to the Columbia division's SWAT team. I think we had probably as few as 10 or 12 and as many as we may have been. 21 was the most we went. Yeah, 21 operators. And that was as, as close to a police squad as you're going to get in the FBI. I, I just cherished it, loved it. You know, still some of the best friends I've made in my life are on that team and looked forward to that. You know, we, we train uh, several times a month in addition to our deployments, uh, real-world deployments. And uh, when I entered kind of like the, the runway towards retirement, and at 50 years old with 20 years of service, you can retire from the FBI, and started approaching 50 and, and literally about 45 I started panicking because I didn't want to stop doing this with these guys. I I just enjoyed it so much and didn't want to lose that connection. So Mike and I and a couple of other guys started talking about, would it be possible to continue this and keep the band together, so to speak, and do what we're doing because we had such a good time doing it. and And I think we were pretty good at doing it. Every year, the Bureau does a thing called the Citizens Academy, where we would open up an opportunity for invited key people, around the state to come and sort of do a mini course on what the bureau does. And with the idea of recruiting people to help us and understand what we do and how the community can then engage with the FBI to further protect the community. So we put on little mini courses about the different missions of the bureau. And of course, you know, Mike and I would would help out with the SWAT and firearms demo piece, which is pretty understandably the highlight of the Citizens Academy and we noticed that people were really into it. <laughs> it's no secret that just about every night you turn on the TV now there's some iteration of FBI this or that and so we thought, you know, is there a way to keep doing what we're doing, you know, keep working together and make money, support ourselves doing it. So we just kind of started kicking around these ideas and and that's kind of where we are now is we we have a group of recently retired and soon to be retired FBI tactical program instructors that are now helping put on training for, or I should say conducting training for private citizens and or companies or organizations that are concerned about their own safety and would like to learn how to to best protect themselves. There is definitely some firearms component to it. In order to make it viable business, it's gotta be kind of fun. So we, we definitely have some firearms training. We take it very seriously and we make that focus of listen, as a private citizen or even as a policeman or a law enforcement officer, the firearm or deadly force has to be the absolute last resort to protect yourself. But you know, if and when you have to do or have to engage in physical violence against somebody else, you'd better know how to do it and you'd better understand the the consequences and how to protect yourself after something like that. So in a nutshell, the Holdfast Fast Security Group is a group of retired FBI agents who are now using those skills and that knowledge and training to help others understand how best to protect themselves. Uh, we do in-person training. Uh, we call it the Quantico experience. And nice. uh, <laughs>
3: nice.
0: so, yeah, we, we, we kind of bring the Quantico experience to you. We also do consultations for mainly for companies and or private individuals. Go to the company, we'll we'll work with the executives, we'll take a look at the work environment, mainly from a workplace or targeted violence standpoint, and make some suggestions on how you could tweak this or that. We try not to make very high-dollar recommendations, right? We're not looking to sell alarm systems. We're not looking to make a place a, a fortress, but usually we find that we can make some very low cost, easily to implement recommendations that would greatly enhance the
1: physical security of just about any environment. Well, that's really cool. I know I've uh, spent some time with you and Aaron has as well. We've talked about it. You guys are the cool kids, (laughs) you know, everybody and all the SWAT stuff, you know, people just love that. But let me ask you both a question. I just want you to chime in here. I don't want to spend too much time on it. Every time you see a cop movie, every time you see a cop TV show, It's like the cops are the local cops are, you know, working the kidnapping and getting things going. And the FBI shows up and says, we're taking over. We're the bureau. This is our scene. (laughs) Uh, Is that really I mean, what's the relationship like between the FBI and the local law enforcement? So because
3: of that perception, I think for the most part, everyone I've known in the bureau anyway has been very sensitive to that. So then we come in, we realize we do not have the area covered like local law enforcement does. You know, so we always come in with our hat in our hand and say, look, you know, we want to help you. We have reach back capability. We can bring in uh, in a lot of resources. um, And then you guys have the boots on the ground and together we can we can make a good plan. So I think that's generally the way that we try to approach it. I've, I've only experienced one time in my bureau career. Uh, this is reaching back in la when i had a case that really didn't meet federal guidelines but it was someone who needed to go to jail and i found out that a local detective was working in the, an investigation on the same subject so i went to see him and uh basically trying to give him everything i had to look at you know we're not prosecuting this i just want to give this to you and the guy said i know how the government works there's always strings attached i don't i don't, I don't want it. I was like, you got to be kidding me. I said, look, I don't want anything back from you. Nothing. I'm just trying to give this to you. And he just he refused it. But outside of that, you know, for the most part, every time I think that, uh, you know, agents on the street level uh, with detectives and investigators uh, at the same level generally work together and find a way to make things work out.
1: Well, clearly that guy had watched one of the movies I was talking about. (laughs) He did. And he had a preconceived sense of entitlement. The yeah,
0: I, you know, I I, I would echo that. W- what Mike says in my 20 years with the Bureau, I very rarely, I won't say never, because, you know, any organization is always going to have that guy or that girl that is just insufferable. Right. And there are plenty of egos in the FBI, for sure. But I think I think it's important. And it was very important to Mike and I probably the, the bulk of our professional careers were spent in either a training and or support role for our state and local partners. A lot of people don't realize that one of the Bureau's main missions is training. I'd, I'd love to talk a little bit about what Mike did in South Carolina, created a what we ended up calling the SWAT Summit, The experience there with our state and local partners uh, was amazing in terms of, you know, anytime you train together with somebody for a few days, it, it generally fosters friendship and mutual respect and understanding. And so we had a we had an opportunity to to do that on behalf of the FBI because we had the time and the money and the resources and the connections to to bring some really excellent training and luckily you know with, like with Mike's connections back to the mothership at HRT some
3: unbelievable opportunities for our partners in in South Carolina when I came from the hostage rescue team, I didn't have any tactical connections in the state of South Carolina at all. You know, I just didn't I didn't know anybody. I didn't know any departments. I just did not have that experience. Everyone I reached out to just to find out, hey, is there an organization? Do you know, do tactical team leaders get together at some point? Do teams train together? And there were some around the state where communities that share borders, their SWAT teams would train together sometimes. But uh, for the most part, there was no organization where all the teams in the state would come together. So then I you know, started talking to some of the larger departments, um, you know, hey, do you guys want to get together? And of course, everyone wanted to do individual training, but that was when I decided, you know what, we need to have something to help out. I would get requests regularly from small teams. Hey, can you come to our training? Can you you know, help put something on? And you want to help all of them, but it's, you know, I don't have the time or I didn't have the time. To you know, go out and see all these teams. So that's what we started talking about. Let's let's look at putting on a training event, a one-week event that we can get everybody together. Um, and we partnered with Richland County in South Carolina, which is one of the counties that Columbia is in, and uh, came together and uh, made a training plan and started getting people together. The the first one, I think we had 60 operators come together. And then, it, you know, each year it grew a little bit and we added a little more to it, tried to, you know, refine the way that we did it. I grew to, I think the biggest one we had, we had 140 guys there, but we decided that was a little too big for us. And we, we took a step back and got back down to about 110, 115 people per year that would come, get a handful of people from every team that wanted to participate. We started at uh, Fort Jackson and those guys were great. If you've ever had to deal with doing stuff on a military base, Uh, They have so many rules and regulations, and we didn't always fit in their box. Uh, So that sometimes got a a little bit interesting. So the last couple years, we did it at the South Carolina Criminal Justice Academy because they're able to give the uh, state and local law enforcement, they're able to give them credits for their continued education through the academy. Us doing the the, uh, the summit
1: there. When you were talking earlier, Mike, about the HRT being the full time tactical unit for the FBI in civilian terms, is that like you know we're all familiar with like Delta and the SEALs and you know all these elite special forces groups. So is HRT tier one operators similarly aligned to the missions of those units? Yes. So HRT is the tier one unit for civilian law enforcement. And I'm assuming that if I join the FBI and I walk across the stage at Quantico and I get my creds that I don't just show up for HRT, no. <laughs> pretty stringent selection process, I'm assuming.
3: Yeah, there's a, a lengthy selection process. I mean, it starts in your field office to get that recommendation from the SWAT team leader in in your division first, and then the selection process itself. Then there's an application, uh, then a two week a two week trial. Gotcha. Two week selection. It's a um, it's a two week beatdown. You know, you're going from early in the morning to late at night. They're waking you up in the middle of the night. They have since since I went through softened it a little bit, but now they require that everyone gets at least four hours of sleep at night because they found that,
1: <laughs> yeah. It's It's ridiculous, isn't it? Guys sleeping in. Oh, my God. In Alabama, the uh, state law enforcement did a consolidation back in 13. So now all the state police are under one umbrella and they're all troopers. So the original troopers are like, wait a minute. (laughs) You know, so they went through the original trooper school is like 26 weeks. I was at Craig Field. So all these old school troopers, they call themselves CFOs. Craig Field Originals.
3: <laughs> like Micro
1: Gang or something. <laughs> nice. I like it. Hey man.
3: There's something to that. At Virtual Academy, we're helping our clients build better prepared public safety professionals by offering high-level training provided by engaging national experts. With hundreds of hours of training available instantly, Virtual Academy offers the functionality your officers need so they can train as their schedules permit. Find out how Virtual Academy can meet the needs of your agency today. Visit virtualacademy.com for a complete list of courses, training resources, and more. Virtual Academy. Because you deserve more.
1: One of the things you guys have both have experience with is on the PSD side, Protective Services Detail. So let's talk about that because I'm sure that there's some funny stuff that happens when you're doing that kind of stuff. Rob, I know you got some stories. I can see your nostrils flaring. (laughs) So let's start with you. Take her away. So...
0: I had the opportunity to serve on protection details for several of our attorneys general. And the, the FBI provides a full-time protection detail for the attorney general as the head of the Department of Justice and for the director of the FBI. So both those positions have a full-time dedicated protection detail, which is then augmented by the field office SWAT team's when they travel so if the ag or the director for example were to travel to columbia the detail would come down or several members of the detail would come down the local swat team would augment that protection mission while the ag was on the ground here a local swat team would travel with full-time detail to protect the ag and or the director when they were overseas so it's kind of a nice uh you know a nice mission there and as a, a little bit of a benefit for the operators on the local teams to get some travel and to get some overtime. I think Mike probably can tell the story better. So
3: um, our SWAT team was assigned to help on a trip to the Middle East. Sometimes the SWAT teams would then go, you know, help the, the detail just by augmenting the numbers and stuff when they would go travel internationally. And uh, we were staying in this palace type hotel, the most luxurious hotel I've ever been in. The attorney general's coming into town and then my team's responsibility was for the hotel and knowing, you know, usually we're on the ground. We have to know where the hospitals are and all that kind of stuff. Coordinate with local law enforcement and, you know, making sure also that uh, the attorney general's room is secure and the area around it and all of that. One of the things that we'll do kind of close to the arrival is send a dog through, you know, a bomb dog, go through the attorney general suite and any rooms that he's going to be using just to make sure along the route. And this particular country had this massive bomb dog came in and was in the attorney general suite and took a massive dump right in the center of the suite. And it was horrendous. I mean, it smelled all the way up and down the hall. I mean, like I said, they usually waited to do this until the attorney general was getting close because you wanted to be fresh, not the dump, but the
1: yeah, you want the dump, but right? the,
3: the the sweep, the you know, the bomb sweep to make sure nothing's there. And uh, and so of course we you know contact the hotel people right away and say hey you know what can you do about this? They bring in a team to clean it, and I mean this hotel had a ton of employees there. And they're cleaning it. They call the engineer to actually remove the windows because the windows don't open. To open it up, they had these massive fans that came out of nowhere and they're blowing air, trying to freshen it. And then finally they decided, we are not going to be able to get this scent out of this room in time. Um, so, and as a matter of fact, I don't know if they ever would get it out. It was it was horrible. So Febreze wouldn't get it done? <laughs> so they they had a, they had a suite that was at the end of the hall, this massive suite. And they said, okay, we're going to, put the, at the expense of the hotel, we're going to put the attorney general in the suite. Well, the suite wasn't cleaned. So they sent in, it was a line of about 20 employees and it was like something out of a movie where they're going in with buckets and whatever, fresh linens and stuff. And they go and they remake the suite in a matter of minutes and they are literally walking down out of the suite and down the hall and past the attorney general on the way. This line of people is almost like a line of soldiers coming out, except for they were carrying buckets and stuff. <laughs> attorney general was none the wiser, except for he got a really nice suite. And, you know, it all, it all worked out. But man, oh man. But the things we do for the, the profile
0: guy. It's like a duck, right? You know, <laughs> completely uh, calm on the surface <laughs> and everything underneath is just going like a mile an hour. Uh, it's. That's, there were so many stories like that, and I was, actually had the opportunity to serve as a full-time member of Attorney General Barr's detail while he was in office. And I'll, I'll just take a second to say what an amazing man. It's great to work for. To be a fly on the wall during that uh, time period in American history was fascinating for me. But I just read his book, just came out and is really fascinating as well. But, uh, you know, when you when you ask me to tell a funny story, the primary mission, of course, is to protect the uh, the attorney general from physical harm. But but we are also expected to protect them from political embarrassment. And uh, so most of my stories date back with I think it's five or six attorneys general. You know, I
1: just I can't I can't commit to tape. So (laughs) sorry. (laughs) No, I understand completely. I do have a little experience with the FBI PSD operations because I was at uh, when I was still with the Alabama AG. I saw Director Comey pull up with his detail. I saw the the motorcade and how they kind of came in and how they positioned and how they exited the vehicle and that that whole thing. That's a that's a, you know, just a scripted dance, isn't it? Yeah, there's a there's a probably the
0: most important component of any security detail is the advance work. And I was fortunate enough. And Mike, uh, you know, when he augmented executive protection piece, the advance work is probably 85% of the critical support for that mission is is knowing where's the primary drop, where's secondary drop, where are different routes of ingress, egress. Always looking for areas where it's in case something breaks bad, where are we going to go? Who are we going to talk to? Just smoothing things out ahead of time so that when the principal arrives, everything is completely smooth. One from a safety standpoint, most importantly, but but two, you know, this is the Attorney General of the United States or the director of the FBI. You you want it to look as professional and as smooth as, as possible. And it's a reflection on not only you personally, but your unit, the FBI in general, if it doesn't go smoothly, there's a lot of work and a lot of consternation that goes into making sure every single movement is choreographed is well thought out and protected. And it's a lot more than just pulling up and jumping out and walking in there. Hours and hours and hours of thought and discussion and
1: planning has gone into that 30 second movement. Let me ask you this. Is the type of advance work similar to that that would be of the president? Because I'm thinking it's not really who you're protecting, it's what you're protecting them from. So you're protecting the president from the same kind of thing you would be protecting the director and or the AG Right. Yeah. In some ways. Yes.
0: Very similar. Obviously, the president of the United States has an unbelievable security apparatus. And when the Secret Service rolls into anywhere, it's it's just overwhelming. We like to have a pretty capable presence, but it's nowhere near the scale. I mean, again, it's probably nowhere near the threat. That the president faces. So, you know, our motorcade would, would sometimes be several vehicles, but, you know, typically two or three, whereas the president's is what, 25 or 30 with, you know, all sorts of support. Now, depending on the threat level and where we were obviously we we would augment what we had but there's always you know a full team with the attorney general 24 hours a day 7 days a week anywhere they go it's just that the president you know just rolls with so so much more around him but in some ways it is very similar right so you, you go into the venue you scout it out you arrange for uh, security sweeps and bomb sweeps and you're making sure that the not only the attorney general but his or her staff knows where they're going has What they need in terms of a a down room or a ready room uh, that they can be uninterrupted because generally. You know, they don't just walk into a venue and meet with whoever they're, they're going to meet or deliver their remarks. They're generally going to be there for a little while preparing. And again, that's all on the advanced person to do that work and then share it with the rest of the team so that they are all on the same page and know what to expect, know what they're looking for. So it involves imagery. It involves a narrative. And then, of course, it involves a lot of uh, liaison between not only you know the FBI and the venue, but many, many times, you know, we would roll into a venue where there were other security details, including the president. And there's a pecking order. The president always comes first, of course. It was not unusual for us to go to functions where other cabinet members or other security details were going to be in attendance as well. And that takes a lot of choreography and deconfliction. So, a lot of work behind the scenes for what seems like a very simple movement to the eye.
2: It's very different when me and Chris show up. Like, at best, I hold the door for him, and then we're good to go. That's about all we well, got. I mean, you know, uh, you got to be willing to put the time in there yeah. to make the I relationship pre-plan. work. I, you know, I make sure well, that's right. I know you the know, layout. I um, oh, you know it. Okay.
1: Back to the HRT, something I want to ask you there, Mike. Tell me about, is there a, like an event or something that was the catalyst that became HRT? Like, was there a big... Failure at some point or a success, and they said, "Hey, we need this." It was in preparation
3: for the Olympics in Los Angeles in 1984. Really? So the hostage rescue team was stood up in 1983. Or was there a specific reason, or just? Yes, um, it was the 1980 Olympics where the Israeli athletes were taken hostage. And the local law enforcement was not prepared. And so the, the United States did not want to have that issue. And, you know, we have an issue here in the United States where we can't call in the military in situations like that. Right. So we needed we needed a civilian law enforcement agency. And the Bureau was picked to be that agency and stood up their first team.
1: Rob, back when you were on patrol wearing the Sam Brown digging in, what kind of what kind of stories can you tell us? Tell us a funny thing that you saw or. Some kind of cool story we can dig into. By the look of his face, he doesn't have one.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I tell you, I, you know, I alluded to it earlier. How much I enjoyed the squad I was on, and the, and the the squad that I got onto as a brand new patrolman was just just excellent. It was uh, a group of guys and girls that really worked well together. I had some great mentors and. Most importantly, I had some really, really incredible practical jokers. I think most people out there listening to this podcast would agree. It's hard to do law enforcement without a pretty deep sense of humor. I loved going to work every night because I never knew what shenanigans were going to happen it was it was literally like the what was that uh super troopers movie uh came out when i I think came out when i was a policeman because we were you know we would try to work in certain words to every need a burger for a cop (laughs) Um, but i can i mean i can vividly remember you know screwing around with guys patrol cars because of course you would take the keys off of a motor pool and you'd you know go grab your cruiser and head out right and and you know it was not unusual for someone to spray pepper spray into the vents so that when you turned on the air conditioning, you, the guy pepper sprayed himself. We, uh, we, one of the stories I recall as a, as a brand new policeman, I was, I mean, I was really, really new, just been cut loose from my field training instructor. And back in the early nineties, when the crown Vic was transitioning from that real boxy kind of, Looked like a land yacht, you know, square body style to what we called the swoopy car. That had a, like the kind of the contoured lines, and the old cars had the the old Street Hawk revolving gigantic light bars, and and the new ones had like the the real sleek LED bars. And at the time, Fairfax had even gone to this. We called it the Captain America paint job. You know, <laughs> the old Fairfax was just blue and white with the county seal, and that was it. This one, the new the new cars had like this sleek body style and this unbelievable paint job and the LED bars. And of course, it was strictly forbidden for any rookie to even look at one of those cars. Right. Listen, you take the oldest piece of crap uh, and you drive it until the wheels fall off. OK, no problem. Well, I had gone to court that morning. And I'd, I'd come in and I, you know, in, in my mind, I, I needed to come back to work because I, I wasn't done with my shift. <laughs> and of course, everybody in the squad is thinking, what are you doing here, idiot? That's your time to go home and, you know, have a, an hour or so off. And I go into the roll call room and look for a car, you know, the only set of keys hanging on the board where's this brand new Captain America car with like six miles on it. So I go into the sergeant's office and, you know, I told him, I said, Hey, Sarge, I, I got a problem. There's no cars. He goes, yeah, there's a car in there. I said no, no, I, I can't touch that car. And he said, "Come here." So we, <laughs> we walk in, and and he says, "Look out the window. What does that seal on the side of the car say?" I said it's Fairfax County. And he says, "Well, what does the patch say on your uniform?" Fairfax County. He says, "Get the car and go write a ticket, and then get out of here." Okay. I get in my cruiser, and I literally, I haven't made it around the block, and I see a guy. So in Fairfax, they have like these. Inspection stickers for the state inspection and the um, sticker to indicate you'd paid your taxes. This guy goes blowing by me in the other direction. He's got a expired state inspection and a uh, I used to say I hadn't paid his taxes or whatever something. And oh man, two tickets. <laughs> so I I go to pull in this driveway, do a quick you know three point turn, yes. and I didn't realize it was a swimming pool. And this was February, and there was a low slung chain. <laughs> across the parking lot yeah by the time i realized that i had smashed the grill raked the paint off the hood smashed the windshield and ripped the light bar off and i <laughs> i got the car to a stop and of course this chain is like straining still over my car and i'm about to kill myself right because <laughs> literally an ag- yeah oh yeah Uh, You have to get on the radio and, you know, hey, uh, 730 Baker, start car seven, Charlie. To me, I've had an accident, (laughs) single car accident. And of course, back then, I don't know how it is today, but back then, all your squad, of course, would then key the mic over and over again, like basically applauding you. So, of course, I get all this squad radio chatter and the entire squad comes by (laughs) To see the idiocy.
1: Oh, yeah.
3: Oh,
0: yeah. I only did, uh, I think it was $14,000 worth of damage wow. to the car.
1: I like how you put the uh, the only in
0: front of that. Only? Yeah. That's about, at the time, that was more than half of my annual salary. Jeez. Yeah. The captain called me in the next morning and, you know, he said, hey, Chadwick, uh, we can work out a deal we'll, we'll take out installments from your paycheck to I said okay sir that sounds fair you know of course he's <laughs> screwing with you but yeah. oh yeah it was one of my proudest moments in in uniform
2: and i've always wondered as a civilian do law enforcement like Super Troopers? I mean, do, do you guys enjoy watching Super Troopers?
0: Oh, I loved it. That was one of my all-time favorite movies. Really? <laughs> yeah. 21 Jump Street. Um, movies like, I much prefer movies like that than the ones that try to emulate how, you know, like serious, the serious and they're not good serious ones, but the ones you can laugh at it are fantastic.
2: Yeah. The opening of yeah, super the, troopers when he pulls the guy over and then keeps telling him to pull over. And he's like, I can't pull over anymore.
0: <laughs> no, we would literally do, we would, we would work in those lines. And like I said, <laughs> we would pick a word of the day that absolutely had to be incorporated into every single person's report. Nice. It didn't matter what it was. We would, you know, you must use the word scrum in every report today or whatever. And, uh, yeah, it was.
1: Yeah, those movies are the best. I can remember doing the meow.
2: Yeah, uh, meow.
0: Yes.
1: <laughs> <You know. laughs> Absolutely. Don't talk back, meow. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, uh, I think we're probably a little too silly for you. You don't look like you've ever done anything crazy like that.
0: <laughs> Mike always had a great sense of humor, but he was definitely the adult in the room on the SWAT team. <laughs> I can vividly remember him saying, guys, let's cut the crap and get the mission done. Then we could screw around. <laughs> like, okay. Dad's
1: angry at us. Mike would not have let me be on the SWAT team because I would have kept the room. You know, I like to work the room, Mike. You know, I like to get the laughs. I remember
3: Rob and I had a boss who was just a fantastic guy. And one day he called me in because I, you know, my mission was to, to build that SWAT team and make it the best it can be and keep everybody safe and, you know, make sure that we're up to date on everything and everything you know goes right. Uh, one day he calls me in, he says, look, SWAT training can be fun too, you know? So the next SWAT training after that, the guys, a couple of the guys asked me, but we were training at this place that it was a pond right beside it. And they're like, hey, can we throw a flashbang in the pond and see what
2: happens? I'm just like,
3: you know what? My boss told me to have fun, yes. That's the a flash bang in there. 600 catfish belly
0: up.
2: <laughs> yeah. Frog flying in the air. Boom.
1: <laughs> Someone's going to file a complaint on wasted taxpayer money. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was the, it was th- that training. pond was the home of the rarest single silver striped bass.
2: <laughs> Somebody's white whale was in that pond.
1: <laughs>
0: oh yeah. It was good training though. I will say that just to, uh, as a, uh, disclaimer.
2: <laughs> you you got to know in that situation, what's going to happen. You, you got to be prepared. That's right. Well,
3: so one of the things that happens when you have a flashbang, right, you pull the pin and then if it's not going to increase danger to yourself, you want to have a little peek at what's going on. And if there is like a child in there or someone's coming out or whatever, and there's some reason that you change your mind, then you need to take that flashbang and throw it somewhere else. So we were training
1: to throw it somewhere else part of it. Yeah. I would imagine that's a decision that has to be made pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> I can remember in my early days of being an attack team and the op order called for two flashbangs, one at the front, one at the rear as a distraction. The one behind the house was a distraction. And then the one on the front of the house, they threw kind of under a chair where an elderly guy was sitting. But he was armed. But I did not take into account, and I want to ask you about this, Mike, but I did not take into account the community that we deployed in. uh, A gunshot or shotgun shot or whatever they thought it was, was not uncommon. So the distraction didn't work. So planning something for HRT or SWAT, I mean, that's a big deal. So, yeah, but
3: if somebody's in the same room as the flashbang when it goes off, I don't care how used you are to uh, hearing guns go off. It's a lot different than a gun going off. You know, so I'll I'll give you uh, an example. Um, On the L.A. SWAT team, one time we had hit, we were going in two doors at the same time, simultaneous entry. The other team was going in the front door and my team was going in the back door. Uh, my team got in faster because all we had was a sliding glass door. And back then we used to do everything dynamic, right? So we go in clear the backside and then we had a floor plan drawn of the place and we weren't supposed to go past the kitchen. Well, the front team had a security door to deal with and they are pounded on the door. And we've tried to tell them on the radio, Hey, you know, we're, we're in, you guys can just coming through here, but I wasn't going past the kitchen until we, they, you know, agreed to it and we're coming back through anyway, they're pounding and pounding I'm calling the subject across the kitchen on the other side of the little hall where his bedroom was, he's coming out across the kitchen. And just then the door, the front door goes and here comes the bang. And it was kind of like slow motion and it landed right at the base of a fish aquarium stand. And this isn't like a 10 gallon. This was a 50 gallon saltwater fish aquarium. It was massive. That thing, it blew the leg off of the fish aquarium. So then the fish aquarium smashed onto the kitchen floor. There was glass water and flopping fish all over the place. And this guy, of course, the subject takes off back, running back into his bedroom. And then we, we got him out. We arrested him. No issue. But, uh, a flashbang can be, I've, I've been on one of them where it was just thrown into a small room and blew the windows out, blew the glass out of the windows. Another one where someone threw it and went under a sink and it blew the uh, pipe off the sink. So I mean, it's a pretty good charge. That oh, comes they're off loud this now. Bang. I'm
1: telling you what, it's it'll shut you down. I don't know if you've had the experience right up close, but man... Oh, yeah, those things are
2: they're serious. I think I told this story to, to you guys when you were in town. We were filming some training and one of the guys threw one too close to our cameraman. He, he can tell you how loud those things are because it it, it was he created was, uh, all three forms of matter in his yes, pants. Yes, right yes. Then. <laughs> <laughs> it'll, it'll wake you up.
1: Hey, Rob. So let's just say that I'm I'm listening to this podcast and. I heard you mention the Quantico Experience. If I want to learn more or find out more about that, how do I do that? One of two ways. One, go to our company
0: website, which is holdfastsecuritygroup.com, spelled like it sounds. And then we also have quanticoexperience.com. We're still kind of working out the you know again we're pretty new but but we we own both those domains and and are setting up a i don't know what the guy calls it like a mini webpage or something to sort of explain and and facilitate the registration now there're not that many iterations of it and uh we're we're kind of traveling around uh certain locations there's we're, we're we're going out to Oklahoma here in another couple of months to do a couple of iterations. And of course, we're based in South Carolina. We've got kind of a, a home base between um, Lawrence, well, it's in Lawrence, South Carolina, but it's, it's kind of located between Charlotte and Atlanta, in uh, Columbia, of course, but uh, yeah, that's probably the best way. is just to go onto the the website, either QuanticoExperience dot com or HoldFastSecurityGroup.com. dot com. We've got some videos there that you can click on and kind of further explains, you know, what what we do, who we are, and and, and sort of the uh, the intention of of uh, what
1: we're trying to uh, to share. Well, our listeners will be able to find that information down in our show notes. Absolutely. So we'll share that and we'll make sure everyone knows how to get in touch with you and. I just want to say I know Rob pretty well. Uh, I just met Mike, but I know both of you guys are busy, and I'm thankful for people like you that are willing to do the jobs that most Americans don't want to do anymore. So I appreciate you, and I thank you for taking the time to spend a little time with Between the Lines today.
2: Aaron, what do you think about these guys? I mean, they're pretty cool. Pretty okay. When they were uh, in town a couple weeks ago, I learned how to – bar a door within seven seconds and i think that's going to be useful in my office life you're trying to avoid a meeting yeah, pop that thing up good to go
1: i mean i think they could definitely be part of the av team at virtual academy oh yeah which yeah. i mean both of these guys have some experience
2: in the studio don't they yes they do if it, if it doesn't work yeah. out hold fast yeah play with us mike call
1: me if it doesn't work out buddy we'll uh, see if we find a spot for you rob good seeing you again, my man.
0: Yeah, man. Thanks a lot for this opportunity. Obviously enjoy very much working with Virtual Academy and appreciate what it is you guys do in terms of providing really high quality training. Because again, Mike and I are very well aware of how little training opportunity there is for most of our state and local and tribal partners with the technology today and the and the and what you guys put into it. And they're always looking to get the next best stuff. And share it I, I think it's a an amazingly
1: important mission and we're proud to uh to support you in any way we can mike thanks buddy it was nice uh, yeah. you know getting to meet top tier operator like yourself appreciate it uh, i appreciate it chris and thanks aaron you guys are great you brought up the national academy earlier rob you guys know uh i have two session mates that i love to death and they're in south carolina matt hamby and jones gamble <laughs> I know them both very well. When
0: I was in Columbia Division, one of the hats I wore was the National Academy Program Coordinator for the Columbia Division. So, worked almost every day with Jones, uh, who's just awesome. He he serves as our uh, treasurer now. I say our because I am a alumni member of the National Academy Alumni Associates. And yes, I tell you, it's a special program, especially for South Carolina because it gets so few slots, man, it's so rewarding to be able to be a, a part of that and, and see the difference, not only in the individual officers' lives, but in their departments and their communities, the training they get to bring back and just make themselves and their departments better to serve their community better. And then, of course, you know helps the Bureau mission as well because they've spent 10 weeks at Quantico learning about us and understanding kind of what makes us tick. And when the balloon goes up, in their community, we have a ready-built partner, as you know very well, Chris. That joint training and is, is really something special.
1: The uh, FBI National Academy is a whole lot more than just Belgian waffles every Saturday morning at Quantico. <laughs> they were awesome. The I mean, yeah. Melt in your mouth. <laughs> all right guys listen uh special thank you to virtual academy for hosting our podcast want to give a shout out to the man the myth the legend aaron beville on the soundboard thanks aaron you always man you do an amazing job i appreciate you
2: well thank you guys so much
1: all righty guys thank you so much this is between the lines have a great day